And we know with a growth company, maybe a company that's just started out, we know that there's player coaches, right? So you might be the CEO, but you might be wearing three other hats, right? You could be the finance person and you could be the salesperson. And so you have to be on the sidelines coaching and you have to be on the field playing. And so the whole idea is you want to grow out of that to give the hats away so you can just be coaching on the sidelines. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger for optimising business performance. Scaling up organisations, corporate culture, customer addiction, building high-performing teams, along with a few other obsessions. I've spent the last several years working for and with some of the most successful top-performing companies in the world. And this podcast is my attempt to synthesise what I've learnt along the way to help you build a higher quality business and live a more fulfilling life. If you enjoy the podcast, you can find more information on today's episode. We do cracking show notes. They're at dominicmonkhouse.com. Hello and welcome. Today, I'm talking again to Shannon Susco. Shannon is a serial entrepreneur, best-selling author, keynote speaker, and business coach. And what I wanted to do today was to pick her brains, see what's been happening with 3HAG, what does the future look like? We talk a little bit about her new book that's coming out towards the end of the year. But I also wanted to find out from her what she's seeing with the businesses that she works with in the US and Canada to see how they're thriving and not just surviving in light of the current pandemic. So a great conversation with lots of actionable insight I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Shannon Susco, CEO of Metronome United, serial entrepreneur, author, and um, speaker. So I thought we'd kick off and talk about what you've learned over the last few months. The number one thing I learned is a repeatable growth system works in good times and bad times. The same fundamentals, the same things that we want to put in place to grow a company also works when there's a huge crisis in the market, a downturn in the market. And quite frankly, we already knew that, but uh, it just actually allows companies to do it with haste. They do it faster. And it's been just a, you know, amazing actually time to work with companies to see how quickly they can adapt and change things that they thought, you know, had to be that way. And we've had many conversations with clients about why has it taken a crisis to actually double down and really get things done. Because people are more willing to just give up on the baggage or give up on the, the certainties or the certainties have gone away. Yeah, it's the certainties have gone away. And I really think that it wasn't a, you know, a little sprint. It was like a marathon that um, companies realized they didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so with all of my organizations, we did a a four-step method. Not that it wasn't new, not that they hadn't done any of these things before, but we did it in an order maybe they hadn't done it before. They should have been doing it this way, but they hadn't done it before, which is just looking at and going to the bottom and understanding, you know, factually how much cash do they really have? Because you can't carry away profit. You can carry away cash to the bank. And so we went there first. Then we went to what do they need to do just right now, you know, execution. Then we went to, and we went to execution and the plan to the end of the year. Then we went to, um, with that plan, do we re- need to redesign how we do business, the organization? And then what resources do we need, right? So the who. And I don't know about you, but I'd say every one of my clients removed C players, you know, players that didn't fit or players that weren't in the right roles and not performing with haste. And um, the last step was go back and check in on are your core customers' needs the same? Yeah, totally. In terms of the, the people, 10, 10 to 50% of uh, trimming back 
and the core customers' needs. It's it's and like a smaller number of core customers, even maybe, as opposed to the conversation where like, oh, we have six core customers that we serve. It's like just it narrows the focus and and the time frame is also that how do we make sure that we're still here in January? Yeah, and so the other thing that that I did starting like in the first week of this and working all the way through was, you know, every week, it's been 10 weeks, but just um, to get the teams that I was working with to get their heads around and understanding where they were around timing of all this was really important. And every meeting always asked, how long will lockdown last? And with all the different countries, states, provinces I work in, very, very interesting, the dates. Um, when will the new normal kick in? And a lot of people go, what's that? I go, I don't know. We don't know what it is yet, right? So when will that kick in? And then when will the economy recover? And when we started asking those questions 10 weeks ago till now, very interesting, you know, in regards to the dates that were provided the thoughts, no matter if you were talking to maybe a West Coast state in the U.S., to companies in Australia, to companies on the East Coast in the U.S., to provinces in Canada. And the, the mindset, amazing. And you've sort of got, got to get people's heads around, you know, the timing of this and what they think and how it's affected their market. So it's been quite a journey. Um, and there's been, I think, the big thing around the adaptability of people, what you spoke of earlier, is that because there's no other way to do business, but virtually, everybody was just wide open, obviously, to that opportunity, maybe in the beginning, begrudgingly, but now I don't know, you know, it won't be 100% face to face business going back to like, we don't have to all our meetings this way. And we'll do probably a more of a mix. And I think that's pretty exciting. And we'll save a lot of time and effort. But I think the adaptability of people's minds allowed people to go into and look at their business in a different way and get rid of like, you know, get rid of some things that they they talked about. I had texts coming through this time from clients going, you'd be so proud of us. It only took us three years to stop doing this. It just <laughs> took a pandemic. I was like, oh, oh, whatever. Pandemic. Great. Get it done. It was really, really nice. So, and, and then I, you know, I got lots of feedback from clients going, you know, thank goodness for this repeatable growth system, because all the things we have in place are things we need in place to actually survive this crisis. So that's just really nice. It, you know, and we got that early on, right? In the, in the beginning from clients, week one, week two. I think having, having a system is, uh, there's something reassuring about that. You know, you're not running around with your hair on fire. You're saying, right, let's go through the process. Let's have a look at what we know and what we don't know. And, you know, the, uh, is it the Stockdale paradox? Yeah. C Colonel Jim, you know, because so it's like, instead of hoping that it'll be better in three months, you just go, look, I don't know, the last few recessions, like we go down for two years, takes two years to come back up. Only 9% of companies are bigger five years out than the recession. So, what if we kept going down for two years? Like, you know, what does that mean? Let's, let's plan for the worst. And then we can only, you know, we can only be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's one of the biggest things I always, and we always being a, you know, a founder, CEO, grow up a company, we always plan for the worst, right? We have worst case scenario. We do our best case scenario that you'd raise a potload of money on, and then you'd have your most likely scenario. But Having, you know, the opportunity to take every team I work with, uh, you know, whether it's a billion dollar company, $200 million company, a uh, $2 million company, everyone did it. They went to the bottom, what I call the brutal facts of it all. You know, you need your worst case. You need to then build up, go, what, what would be you know, a little different in the most likely case? What would be those things? And what would be in the best case? And I got to say, that's a process that I'd say all my clients will keep on going forward. I always wanted them to take time to do it. They never wanted to. But going to the bottom with the brutal facts, a lot of people go, oh, it's so dark. That's so hard. I go, no, we better do it now. It's better to go from the bottom up than go continuing to lop off from the top down. Death by a thousand cuts. And then you realize that if only you'd done this three months earlier, we would have survived. Oh, it's so... We had that big lesson 
you know, because we went through the, you know, the the bubble burst of the, you know, internet.com, you know, and we were fine. We had cash. We came out of that. And then when 9-11 hit, we had lots of cash. But what we did within two weeks of 9-11 for our business, we were heavily in Europe in you know, payment processing. Uh, we hadn't quite gone into the U.S. yet. And we just started uh, doing our business development in Asia. But when that happened, within two weeks of that, we cut our team in half. And we said, look, this is all the cash that's going to be available. What's in the bank right now to get us to where we need to go? right? On our journey, our three hag, our B hag, that's it. We're, we're doing this. And I know I remember walking in and that was huge. I, we love, you know, we, we sent 60 people away that day for us. Uh, we, and we just started out on our journey, right? We sent 60 people away, but it's probably one of the best things learned because we are, we never, we are like profitable. We like, you know, we weren't in growth mode. We were in survival mode, which actually gets you into a different mindset and more. And we were way more successful because of that. It's like, I never want, you know, 9-11 to happen, believe me, but an impact on our organization and our thinking was amazing. We had a similar thing at Rackspace. 9-11, the Rackspace was actually due to be sold and the market didn't open on the, t- the next day. So they weren't sold and we had three months cash. And it was like, we now have to turn this business into a profitable business. And yet, like yesterday we didn't because we were being sold. Now it's, you know, survive or die. And we had the same thing at IT Lab. The business went from 8 million to 5 million overnight, losing 65,000 pounds a month. We had three months to get to profitability, break even, otherwise we were done. And so that's the first time that both those times were like, you know, you've got to get in a 90 day cycle. Right. And so it's, and if you can get everybody that energized in 90 days, like, why would you not want to run your business like this? Totally, always. Forever. Because things, you know, things happen quicker. Yeah. And I I love it. Like one of my clients, you know, six years with me, they've got the system down. They're really good at it. But there's always things that you can like turn the dial and get better things. And there's some things that you get complacent on. And then they like build back, right? They creep back in as what what you and I do as a coach coming in, we see that, right? So I'd already pointed that out in our February meeting. And they were like, they, we, we just had this really good, strong meeting about what they're going to do. And then I left and two weeks later, a crisis hits. They actually turned the dial on all those things so fast. It was really amazing to watch. And if you got uh, across the spread of clients you work with, you got some that are doing even better and some that are, are you know, struggling badly. So, yeah, with my clients, I have the very top end. I have clients who are at like 140% of plan because of what they do and what they do does well in this market. And then I have at the other end, I have clients, you know, there's about three at the other end who got hit pretty hard, but so proud of those clients because they, they will survive. There's no doubt about it. They jumped on this right at the beginning. You know, we went, you know, and I sort of looked at my overall, you know, clients and said, okay, these guys are good. I'll get to these guys, but I, you know, let's go work with the ones that are getting hit hard. And one was a hospitality group, right? So hospitality has gotten hit so hard. And so we had to work, we had to figure out cash, days of cash. You know, we had to figure out what can we do right now and how can we do it safely? Team members, you know, customers, all those things. Okay. Then, you know, what does it look like looking out? This is a lot longer. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And then, you know, the money's available as US company. You know, we've now, I've probably been in working with them in like four hour sessions almost every other week, taking them through those four steps I said at the beginning, both, you know, map the cash, the plan, the people, and then go back and revisit your core customer. That's the foundation of strategy. And so that's what we've worked through. We've done it fast, but all my clients are, yes, their top line got hit. But because I'm a crazy cash fanatic and everybody should be, you know, forecast cash first, know your cash. Every one of my clients can tell you how many days of cash they have. It makes me smile Um, because if you don't know your days of cash, you don't know how long your runway is. 
good times or bad times. So everybody has cash, which I'm really happy about. And everyone's done, then no matter if they've been hit hard, right? They have to, you know, lengthen their runway. And on the other side, the companies who are at 140%, they, they need cash to invest in that growth. So both sides of that is playing out. And but at the end of the day, if if none of my clients had cash, that would be a problem. And I learned that after the dot-com bomb. I learned it after 9-11. I learned it after 2008, 2014. Like, you got to have cash, period. Figure out how to put cash in the bank every month. That's it. And the the core customer, what are people using? They're looking at core customer. They're doing attribution mapping. I'd start with core customer just to, well, in most cases, I'm just trying to think about this. Most cases, company's core customer is the same core customer. The, the thing that we've gone right away to look at is what are the needs? Are the needs the same? Or are the needs, you know, prioritizing needs of a core customer is like golden. You have to do that. And so if, um, if you think about it, if they're, Third, you know, I always go one, two, three, prioritization. But a lot of times the third need, and this is just interesting across my clients to actually see the whatever the needs were, it just seems like the third need prioritized has rose up to number one, right? Because the market has shifted. And we even had that happen to us in Subservio, my second company in 2008. We launched a company in 2008, like, you know, myself and my partner after launching that and getting into that year went, what are we doing? You know, but we had a core customer map, the needs mapped, right? By the time we got to October of that year, we had to take a step back, of course, go, is our core customer the same? Are their needs the same? And it was the same core customer. The needs just had shifted. It went from, you know, a, a growth market where a broker dealer had huge volume and needed an automated compliance platform to keep them on side to a market that fell out the bottom, but the regulators were all over the market and they needed a compliance system to keep them from going to jail, right? So, you know, <laughs> it, was like, it was more fear-based, but uh, we didn't sell it that way, but they needed that. So we just flipped it around looked at the positioning of that, looked at the value prop. Then we went from there. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to map out, you know, the market through the attribution map with a company. We redid that. We could see there's tons of white space and and we like planned it out and continued on. But if we didn't do that, we assumed it was the same need, same everything. You know, they would have told us to go pound sand when we called upon them. You know, we've heard of stories over this time where people kept their messages the same, continued to call their customers, and their customers are a bit irate that they didn't understand what their needs were today. Yeah, and I think I think you've got the core customer. You've also got the how people might buy. So you know, they might think there might be that uh, a logical reason why we need to buy it, but but there might be a short term. You know, we need to see quicker results. We need a faster ROI. We're, we're buying it from a defensive mindset. You know, we're buying painkillers and not vitamins. If you can't solve a short-term issue for me, I'll come back to you. I'll come back to you later if we're all still in business. Right. So understanding those needs and then repositioning like that value proposition. And so with some of my clients who are at the bottom end of that, where we had to go look at clients and who and what was in their wheelhouse and what what could they pivot to quickly to keep, you know, one case transactions alive and to keep people working and to keep everything moving so that, you know, they can get through this time with the cash they have in the bank. And, you know, that's a hospitality group. And to think about that, you know, the hospitality group is in some countries, hospitality groups, like even hotels are in like a fourth phase and most countries are in a second phase, right? So it's a ways away. And so we really had to map out that length of time and go to the worst case scenario. And it's amazing to see what uh, the leadership teams have done to step up to this. And I think one in that particular case, that company, because we'd worked so hard over the last couple of years, I'm in the three years working with this company, on just the dynamics, the cohesiveness, the the level of trust 
team trust. Like, yeah, you do the, you know, five dysfunctions, Pat Lencioni, that's really nice. But once I get in so far working with a client, usually about six quarters in, then we go to the next level of trust and go a lot deeper. And uh, we'd already worked through all that. So the level of cohesion of these leaders and their willingness to like, just dig in and for the good of the team, you know, was uh, impressive to observe. And I've, I've been in with this company like almost every week. So it's been really amazing to see them react and then sort of thrive. Yeah. It's funny because you, you know, you spend time with some CEOs and then they make a decision, which is so in keeping with their personality and those that are a growth mindset or certainly not a scarcity mindset. Some of the scarcity activity I see is, you know, certainly in the UK, people can furlough staff and get 80% of their salaries from the government. So they've, some people have taken that approach. I was talking to a CEO last week and he said, we've had to bring salespeople back to work because we've underestimated the demand because all of our competitors have completely closed down. Right. And so he said, you know, he, he said, like, we're not, we're not at a hundred percent at all, but, but we are so much more, we're doing so much more business than we thought we were going to do in our worst case scenario, because our competitors have just said, nobody will be buying. Let's shut up shop and come back in a month. Yeah. And I actually had that conversation yesterday with one of my CEOs that they're, they're trying to manage the volume. Like they, they did some marketing things that have really worked and they, they've done some things with their team, right? Whether a layoff job share, you know, we've got all kinds of, it's a Canadian company and it was really interesting because trying to manage and that, that's the other thing. It's trying to manage the business in this time. They're trying new things. They're getting responses. They're trying to be smart around the programs that are available to actually extend their cash runway, right? So that's been really interesting to understand what they're doing. But there's a strategy to manage the government subsidy with the marketplace at hand. And it's almost... I don't know. I was talking with, you know, one of my round table of CEOs last week and it's, we had a big discussion around the, the subsidy strategy. And I was like, ah, oh, I get it. But I so don't want, like, I'd rather spend our time on how do we, you know, get our business through there, like with real cash, not subsidy cash, but I get it. You, you don't want to not put have it there sitting in case you need it. Yeah. So we were we were planning on having this conversation anyway, notwithstanding a pandemic, uh, because you've got uh, you've been you've been working on a new book. Yes, I have been working on a new book. Have you worked out what it's called yet? Yeah, the name of the book is Metronomics, right? And it's the reputable growth system to build the business and life you've always wanted. Okay. Right. Because everybody always says to me, and it's probably, it should have been the book that I wrote. It should have been my first book. Honestly, this should have been the first book I wrote, but who knew what was going to happen out of all of this, you know, in my retirement that I now call retirement. I probably said retirement my last, uh, last time we talked, but uh, now I call it retirement. And uh, yeah, so this book's actually pretty, I think, important because in The Metronome Effect, my first book, we talked about all the pieces. It was pretty prescriptive, and you could put that in. But I never talked about, and maybe I just found it hard to explain, the key connections of the systems that exist and the systems that we put in place. And then, you know, when I think about the second book, I only talked about one system, which is the strategy system, which nobody calls strategy a system. But we did make it into a system. And, you know, I thought it, you know, this is me just thinking out loud. I, I thought it's pretty obvious that if you could get that strategy system working, you know, and it's really prescriptively written as well, that it would be so, um, you know, everyone would just walk away with it so easy. And lots of people, I've gotten lots of feedback that, yes, it is. Thank you for the stepped approach to create strategy because it just doesn't exist out there. So, but I think of the three hag as the glue that holds everything together. And I say that all the time without probably any more explanation. But the explanation is it is the glue that holds everything together. But there's connections between, you know, that being in the center, your strategy system, and it connects to all the other systems, your cultural system, cohesive, human, execution and cash. But a lot of people say to me, like, I don't get that. So this metronomics 
came from the just the pure maybe frustration out of my own self not having said it in the first book or the second book. And I'm like, forget it. We just let's just tell the story on how this all happened. So it's literally, you know, chapter by chapter. It's the discovery that myself and my leadership team went on to put this together and to give uh, the reader, any CEO, any you know leader to understand what the connections are and why some of the things that we talk about, and I know you know the system, we, we talk about and we say, yeah, you, you should do those, right? But uh, not connecting all the dots. So it'll connect all the dots and really put together why in my own businesses, we had such incredible success, right? A lot of people are like, ah, it's because you're involved. Ah, you got lucky. But you don't do it four times. And you don't, you know, Subservio, my second company, is a three-hag on the dot, right? We sold it in the 12th quarter. And they bought the, you know, our future value because we actually did the last 12 quarters so well. And so they bought, they bought it for the future value three years out. Yeah, and then I thought, I honestly thought when I went out coaching, everybody, everyone had a three hag. I thought everybody did this, honestly. I worked with a bunch of business coaches. Of course, we all did this. And everybody did pieces of it, but not everybody connects the dots. And there's some high-level dots that you need to connect. And, and I'm going to be really bold and direct. And you have to have a coach that understands the system. And you must have a playing field to be able to say, see each other playing together, that accountable behavior, like a soccer field. And those three things together, married up with the connections of the growth system, actually get you the results. And so we, like, I, I've, I've been blown away over the last, it's almost been 10 years I've been coaching. I can't believe that. 10 years in requirement. I've just been blown away because to see, you know, the first coach go, hey, what's this three head stuff? Can I, can I use it? And just walks away. I go, sure. You know, I gave it to him. I was like, you must do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Walks away. And has incredible success with his clients. And then the more we gave it out, right, the more people were getting the same results. So it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the system. A system, the coach, and I got to say the playing field. The playing field is the software platform that keeps everybody seeing one another. And at this time, as you know, in the virtual world, there's nothing better. There is no office. This is the way you see each other, you know, in the hallway getting stuff done, you know, is through the platform. But I think I think you're absolutely right. You know, when I when I'm talking to clients or even just talking to CEOs, it's you put small children on a playing field, seven, eight year olds on a playing field with a football, and all they do is run around after the ball. And, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about reflecting on some of the conversations I'd had with his team. And I said, look, your team aren't on the same team. It's like that seven-year-old who's just scored two goals and his team have lost 5-2. He thinks he's done his job because he's scored two goals and he's the striker. So he's feeling like he's won. Yeah. And actually the team have just got beaten 5-2, but he's not, he's not feeling it for the team. He's blaming the goalkeeper. And so you so often see it that people are in their silos. Nobody knows where the white lines are. Nobody knows that we've scored or that we're one nil down. And when you start talking to people like that and say, and you would never expect to get better at sport without a coach, you just wouldn't. No, I wouldn't go to the Olympics without one. And most winter Olympic teams have a three hag right now because it's, you know, that far away. Right. And they've what they don't have a coach going into that. Of course they do. Do they have a goal for the, yes. Do they have, they've worked 12 quarters back. Yes. Do they have a system, a process for that team to play together? Yes. Do they have a certain culture then behavior that's expected? Yes. So every system exists that we know as in this repeatable growth system, every system exists in a, you know, a professional team, a under U6 soccer team, and in a business, whether you're two people or 10,000 people, it, it works. And that's the coolest thing that I've learned is it works. And also you've got to practice. It's not always fun. Like turning up on a Thursday night in the rain in January is miserable. But if you don't, you know what, if you don't do that, you're not on the team. That's right. And so in the, I love that you say that because I find, uh, and I think, you know, coming from an athletic background, when you play with a team, you practice 
about 90% of the time and you get to execute about 10% of the time playing the games and all that in business, we're executing like 99% of the time. And then it's like, we practice about 1% of the time. And if, because it's so little and because people are almost like a downer on that, it, I love, you know, the, the whole communication system that came out of rock habits back in the day and all the tweaks that have been done along the way, like you got to show up ready, prepared to practice with your team in order to execute. And we know with a growth company, maybe a company who's just started out, we know that there's player coaches, right? So you might be the CEO, but you might be wearing three other hats, right? You could be the finance person and you could be the salesperson. And so you have to be on the sidelines coaching and you have to be on the field playing. And so the whole idea is you want to grow out of that to give the hats away so you can just be coaching on the sidelines. And then I think about what what we do is we, we're coaching the coaches, right? And we need to cascade out the you know, and grow up the best. I would, you know, I say coaches, leaders who are coaches in the company. Yeah. So, what are some of the uh, what are some of the things in the book then that we haven't read before? Well, the big thing that is in this book that I just, I think in the other books I just didn't quite have the right view of it. Maybe I hadn't done it, and I, I did it inherently as we learned with the team through this, but. Uh, the big part is the back half of this book is what we call the coach cascade system. And that's the way that we as coaches get to, you know, ensure the CEO becomes, you know, the best coach they can with the willingness and desire to like, you know, humbly achieve what they want and get their leaders to understand that. And then they need to cascade that out to the team, but there's certain steps you need to do. And it's been really interesting writing this book because in the story and it's the story it goes across all my all my companies and learning this and into coaching the last three chapters are the book are the ones that absolutely make the difference in order to grow up your company because we as a myself as a ceo had to grow up and started with me first and then i had to get my leaders the same thing but it's just providing that system and everybody just, as you said earlier, they want to know that, yep, I did that. Yep, I did that. I did that. And they're always checking in with the others. Did you do that too? Right. And so that's why roundtables work awesomely with the system. But it's all about the behavior. So we think of people process. Everyone says you got to balance those. But I actually, after looking at what we did and the key to this and then coaching this in to companies, it's people process and behavior. And that's not what's in the other books. I wasn't able to articulate it, I don't think as well now, on the key steps that need to be taken. So around the behavior piece, and then it sounds obvious, but we actually went back around after we got some of that, you know, leave uh, the, the behavior around just getting the team turned around, that they own everything right? To turn that around. It's just, we, we actually, uh, I, you, you saw this and you asked me, what does WDYR stand for? Right. And I was like, what do you recommend? I, I say it all day long. I've said it for 20 years all day long. When I first led that, it's so simple. What do you recommend? And what are the two other options you considered? Right. All day long. And so like, that's part of this. And then the next piece that is obvious, but in my second company, the book Speed of Trust came out and I realized we did so much of that in my first company, but now there's this awesome book that gave us like steps and we could bring it in and make it part of the system and operationalize it. So that's in there. And we call that Team Trust 2.0 because the first time we did Team Trust was with the five dysfunctions, right? And Pat Lencioni, I'm a huge, crazy, groupie fan. And then the last piece was... We did this inherently, but now that, and again, it's one of these things, this book just came out last year and I read the book, called the authors and went, oh my God, thank you. And they're like, like, who are you? And what? And I said, oh, I'm so happy you wrote this book. And they're like, yeah, okay, why? I said, because everything that, you know, we experienced in trying to grow up people right? And grow them up, not in a derogatory way, but we all have to keep growing. And again, it goes back to the CEO. If you're not willing to put out what you're going to, you know, adapt from your 
reactive nature to your creative competencies. And we know if we go get rid of those reactive behaviors as a leader and trump them and learn these creative competencies. And he just gave us a language. So uh, the, the book Scaling Leadership, and it just gave us the language. And so of using all these things with my clients, and that's probably one of the other pieces of feedback, the one I said earlier around the hospitality group, and they said, if we hadn't worked through these things, we wouldn't have the language and we wouldn't have the dynamic we have now. And so I know that made the difference for myself as a CEO and my teams. But now, you know, now that I'm like, literally over the last two years, I've been working through, there's a missing piece. I'm not explaining something well to coaches, you know, the 70 coaches that we have in Metronome United, but then to my clients. And so I started just working in, you know, uh, a very specific and really step by step, how do I get this into the team? And when they're ready for it, because you got to be at a certain cohesive level to go to the next level. And so that's the piece that's not in the other books. I just didn't know how to explain it. And I've worked with a great business editor to actually get it out of me. Right. And I had it, I had it in pictures, as you know, I always have pictures of everything, but I just needed to get it out and actually put it back into the story as we learned it, because this was a totally learned thing. My coach, I think my coach at the time and of my team could not have explained that either. But just you said, okay, you should, you know, did you think about this? Why don't you take this step? And like we worked it out together and then we went to the team and worked it out with them. And uh, I'm just so thankful for the leadership team I worked with because they were so willing and they had a desire to win, but we were just, they were just so willing to put themselves out there to learn this with me. And then, yeah, I, I think the last, definitely the last four years, I've been trying to be able to articulate this piece. So I think that's the exciting, like super exciting part of the book. And then, you know, I think the other piece that I'm really happy about is, around just taking that step back and being getting better. Now, you know, in the book, I, I think it's better than it has been. And it's just getting, uh, articulating how the dots are connected. And, you know, knowing that if you, if you want to have a great company and you want to have the life, you don't have, you know, whatever life you want, it doesn't even matter. Whatever you love to do, you, you don't have to give up one for the other. And we see this all the time. I think it's bullshit. I live in Whistler, British Columbia. I just hit 30 years here. You know, I'm on my third company. It's like, yeah, you can do both, but you need that, you know, methodical process. You know what? You're, you're right. I hadn't thought about language as a cultural artifact, but even if you think about the language that an organization has, the, the, the shared language an organization has, the bits of its business that it has a shared language about you know, you, you probably need to change that and do that in a deliberate way. And I hadn't thought about that before because I probably just went in and did it and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. did it and didn't give it any thought. So it had never occurred to me that it was even a thing before, but you're right. Well, and I think the thing that really got my attention around the, the back half, around the, the behavior piece is that you can't really, it's a hard thing to describe and it's a hard thing to say, oh, here's your behavioral framework, you know, and here are all the steps you should take. But as a coach, we can go in and guide them through it and layer that in. And like my coach was doing that, but just didn't have, like we didn't have the language for it. That's why when the speed of trust came out and then just scaling leadership last year, I was like, you know, calling up those authors, I was like, they, I, I was a groupie and I had only read their book once, read it a few times now. But when I look at the round table that I've had for the last six years, have 10 CEOs, you know, working with them in the morning, the whole leadership team, the afternoon, just the CEOs, the one thing that has been so successful is the language. They all talk the same language they all actually see the same thing and they are all really good now at actually because you know they've been working through the system some longer than others it doesn't really matter what where you are in your journey you can always join you'll always start in but they actually are so good with each other now because they all the CEOs all speak the same language but now when i see 60 70 people together in a workshop in the morning now I've only seen them online in the last little while, but I was seeing them, you know, once a month in the morning. 
the language, the, the way they communicate about things and the way they look at, oh, show me, you know, your attribution map. And they talk about it and they see it. They're like, you know, another company is saying to another company, did you think about this? What about there? And I just, it blows me away because the language is really key. I love that you key in on that. And that's what I was struggling with trying to explain the last piece. And I, you know, as you know, you know, you're, you're working with us as a three head coach and it's like, I've been terrible at it, trying to explain this piece. It's just because it's inherently, you know, I've been layering it in and everything. That's why I say every, I don't think I could have written this book as my first book because it's been the coaching of companies and clients and doing these round tables and workshops, the feedback that I've received, I am like ever grateful for because it's helped me get it out of my head. Things that like, and I'm forever grateful of the first CEO who called me and said, you know, I'm wondering if you would coach me. And I was like, really? Why? They're like, well, we've never seen anyone do what you've done in such a short period of time. You must have a system. I was like, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We have a system. (laughs) You know, like, honestly, just so ridiculous. But that is the truth. I got to say, like, I think most companies and you've been a part of really successful companies who have systems right in it whether they're aware of them or not whether they understand the language or not but the the key is is that most you know sell their companies and truly retire like walk away they're tired right they're tired and if you look at you know a period of time between when I was 30 and 40 like people would think I I should have been dead right because married three kids in less than three years built a growth company, sold it. Then I went to the other company, put the whole system in there. Then I went to another, I started a new company, built it, sold it. And I had three kids under three, right? I have an incredible husband, of course, because he was like <laughs> like taking care of the home life for sure. But, you know, I should have probably been dead by the, by the time I turned 40. <laughs> and the, the software that you mentioned, Metronome Growth System Software, I think you said to me before, the people who use that, you see, because you sit on top of, you know, your, the clients that you work with and all of the 60 coaches and their clients. And you said you'd looked at some evidence of people using it and, and growth. Yeah. So I, I have the view of my clients, right? Because my clients have been using it the longest because it was built for me, right? And then we shared it with others. So I got curious because we had such incredible success. I got curious one day and said, I want to see what the activity utilization of those companies on the software platform. I just wanted to see were they in there every day? Was the whole company in there every day? What percentages? And so the most active companies... And so this is like, they're in there every day. They use it for their daily huddle. They use it for their meetings. They're updating their, you know, metrics, their own metrics, the company metrics. They're just in there every day. And those companies are growing at a rate. And I like, we, like, I have a bunch of them, you know, within like, they went boop, boop, up, up, up. And, but in three years time, they tripled their top line. One company quadrupled it. Right. And another and not so big whoops, Shannon, you said cash is king. It's all about cash, but they're doubling their cash in the bank. Right. It doesn't get any better than that. And a lot of people go, oh, that that must have been a lot of work. That must have been really hard. Well, you got to commit to it. But the whole thing, we know this in business. It's really nice to write down a plan. But if you can't get the team aligned to it. Right. And the alignment comes out of that active, right? They're actively, you know, working the plan. They're on the platform. And so I looked at the very end of it. I was really curious about that. And then, you know, I've had a round table with almost the same companies for six years. I've I've had a few, you know, hit their three hag and sell and whatever they wanted to do, which is, you know, they retired and we had a big party for that, right? That's what we're supposed to do. But the others who have, are in that roundtable, and I've watched sort of a bit of study of that group for now for six years, 10 companies, and the most active companies in that group over and over and over are your top performers, your highest growth, and put the most cash in the bank. So here's my question, though, because I, I suspect that it's actually probably nothing to do with the software. 
it's like it's not like going by the software and that'll miraculously change your business. It's that it's the fact that if you're in there every day, it because I, I I've got a slide with sort of that I use in the workshops I run, which um so somebody with uh, some meth users teeth, right? So like terrible teeth, right? And we all our mothers beat us till we brushed our teeth every day, and if you don't brush your teeth, nothing happens straight away. Or if you brush your teeth, you get, there's no payback from brushing your teeth. And so I think that's where MGS comes in. It's like, it's there. And it, what it does is it shows you whether you've brushed your teeth every day. And lo and behold, when you look back, the people who use it every day, like if you can get into a habit, it's a habit tracking system more than anything else. I think the biggest thing people need to understand, it, it is a habit tracking system. And if you don't have, and that's why I always go and look at it. And, and because then I know whether the team is playing well together, right? And the habit tracking is we created that platform. And why we created that platform is uh, it's not a priority platform. It's not a project management platform. It's a behavior platform. It helps me help and impact my clients to ensure they're putting the behavior in place, that repeatable behavior to make it easy, right? Easier than anything else to grow it. And it's your, your toothbrush analogy is awesome. I'm going to steal that. Thank you. <laughs> and I laugh because you say about your mother beat you to death while I'm beating my kids to death. Like, did you brush your teeth twice today? Right. I want everyone like to be in the platform at least twice. <laughs> All day long actually is perfect. But that's how we see as coaches that's how we can see what's going on and actually support the leaders we work with. And it's not the, you, you can't do the software by itself. I can just tell you that you're right on. It has to be the software with the habitual repeatable growth system and your best, if you want to get there the fastest you know, way possible, get a coach. I would probably use an F-bomb here, but get a coach. So what is it? What now you, now you've been 10 years, you say you've been coaching? Yeah. So what, what is it? Maybe coaching or maybe looking back over your, your whole of your career, what is it you now know that you wish you'd known earlier? I think the one thing I know now that I wish I had known is that, and not that I didn't know, it just, I wasn't as aware, like I did it inherently, but this step-by-step -step sort of system on behavior the last piece we talked about in the book and we people and process, everyone focusing on people process. That's one thing behavior. And why I go there is I went to business school. I was told, you know, the traditional story, the static story, here's some tools that you can use tools. It's one and done, right? Here's how it goes. You're the CEO of the company. You own everything. You delegate, like that's a crock of shit. Don't delegate anything ever. Never delegate, right? So, and as a CEO, God, don't own everything. And for gosh sakes, don't own strategy. Strategy is a team sport. So everything I learned in business school, and gosh, I still use those tools, but they're alive in the system. And so the biggest thing, you know, when I look back, that I wasted so much time when I started growing a business was listening to this is how it's always done, right? And then I finally, after, I, I think you know me well enough that I'm not one to follow many rules. I was like, you know, it just doesn't make human sense. And so it's like, just, you know, don't, just because it's been done, don't do it. Think about, take a step back to the behavior. Behavior is founded upon people. And it starts with the CEO's behavior going forward. And so that's the biggest thing I look back. And I was talking about it the other day to actually a business student. They read, our, they read the two books. They think about where they are in business school. And they're like, I can't wait to work with you. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even know why I'm doing a business degree now. But that's the thing. Never static, always alive. And I think I've learned that more as a coach than ever is and make it like just easy step, step, step to get the behavior of the team in order to achieve the goals. It's all about behavior. It's obvious. So freaking obvious when I look back. So annoying. And so we've got Metronome Effect. We've got the Three Hag Way, your two books, your new books coming out in, when's it coming out? October. Uh, I'm going to say the fall because 
it is a crazy time, but it's, you know, metronomics will be out in the fall and uh, to put all of this together. And it's just so obvious that we missed the behavior piece in it. And that's the big piece that's added in. So now we've got all the pieces. And then you've mentioned, as you've been, been talking, we mentioned speed of trust and scaling leadership. So we'll, we'll link to those in the show notes. What? And you've mentioned Patrick Lencioni a few times. So he's got a whole catalog of books. Any other books that you think are just like amazing? My favorite book right now, I've recommended it to many, is The Price of Tomorrow. It's written by Jeff Booth. He's a Vancouver CEO, but a lot of people would know him because he was the founder and CEO of Build Direct. Built it up, right? Went to recreate the company. Like they blew themselves up as you would. And as you would, they were trying to be recreate themselves as their market shifted and really blew themselves up, right? And it's a great, and it's not a, it's not a story about Build Direct, which is really cool. It's used as an example, but it's really about, I love listening to this book because it's about the platforms that get created and going with the technology, the marketplaces. Like I, it's, I highly recommend reading that book. It's so good. I, I just finished it. I got to read it again. Shannon, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, you're welcome. I love talking to you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. As a token of your appreciation, it'd be fantastic if you could go wherever you're listening and leave me a review. Those reviews really help other people find this podcast. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to dominicmonkhouse.com forward slash podcast. And there you'll find some fantastic show notes, additional reading and links relating to this episode. You can also find my blog and the past editions of my subjectively not crap newsletter. The simplest thing to do on the website is to sign up and I'll update you each week on the most interesting articles that I've read on all things relating to scaling up high performing teams, net promoter score, company culture, etc. For social, you can find me on Twitter, Dom Monkhouse and LinkedIn at Dominic Monkhouse, although LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me, share your questions and comments and, and perhaps even recommend a guest for a future edition of the Melting Pot podcast. Thanks for listening.